Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. On this episode, we talk with Chuck Bean, founder and CEO of Heritage Financial Services in Boston. Heritage has been recognized several times for its growth and for its client service, including being the 2017 winner of the Charles Schwab Best in Business Impact Award. We take a close look at the firm's processes and its philosophy. We talk about how they've centralized uh, financial planning and investment management so that its wealth managers and wealth advisors can concentrate on the client relationships. Some firms struggle with getting clients to round up paperwork for a plan, so you might be surprised at how much Heritage demands of its clients even before committing to a relationship. We talk about what Heritage has learned from its client advisory board and how they've put that feedback into action. And stay through to the end where Chuck tells us a story from his past about personal service and how high he sets the bar for commitment to clients. It's a memorable story you'll want to hear. And now here's our conversation with Chuck Bean. So Chuck Bean, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. We're so happy to have you today. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, great to have you here today. So Chuck, you started Heritage Financial Services in Boston, and uh, the firm has been recognized a few times for how for the outstanding job that you do. You know, I, I've worked with you for a bunch of years on your advisory board, so I've I've had a chance to both see what a good job you do and hear directly from your clients, and including um, the most recent Schwab Impact Award. So, give us a little insight as as to how you built a firm like that. What what have you focused on that that you think? has helped given you that kind of reputation with clients and, and with the industry. Thank you. Yes, um, we've had remarkable growth over the years, Steve and Julie, and a lot of that is uh, based on a wonderful team effort that we have. We have an executive management team comprised of five outstanding individuals that are all focused on um, uh, continued successful organic growth. Uh, we have a number of different centralized departments with investment management, all the client-facing wealth management, advisors. Uh, we have a financial planning team, also a client service and ops team amongst our administrative staff. And it's really been a collective uh, effort from all of the 30 staff members in the firm that helped achieve growth rates in the mid-teens annually, almost as far, far back as EI can see. So uh, we've essentially doubled our assets under management over the last, I'd say, six or seven years. Uh, we're now north of $1.4 billion of uh, AUM. And I'm very proud to say all that has been through organic growth. I think another uh, reason for some of the successes and recognitions that we've received has been through our high client retention rate. We've uh, been very honored to maintain roughly a 99% client retention rate. Fortunately, very few clients leave the firm. And I think that's a testament to the exceptional uh, service and fiduciary responsibility that we have for each and every client. Uh, we also yeah. have wonderful... Go ahead, sorry. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I think we have... A very good innovative use of technology. Uh, we have some mobile-friendly tools for our clients so they can log on to a client portal and check out their accounts on a daily basis or as often as they'd like. There's uh, a secure vault where they can store things like tax returns and estate planning documents and um, look at their financial plans and performance reports. And I think you know what, what truly separates us is the comprehensive wealth management offerings that we afford. We span across investment management, uh, cash flow and financial planning, all different types of income tax planning, uh, helping people uh, secure retirement, assist with their philanthropy and estate planning, et cetera. So it's really a holistic, comprehensive wealth management practice. 
And and do you think that's what what separates heritage is is that you will look at all of that different stuff, or are there other special things going on that you think have contributed to that growth and and, and that reputation? Steve, I think our team approach sets us apart and differentiates differentiates us amongst many of our competitors. Uh, each client is assigned. Uh, two client-facing advisors, a, a more senior person, what we call a wealth manager, then an associate and more of a supporting cast role. We call that person a wealth advisor. And uh, the, our clients come in and meet with us on a very regular, frequent basis, anywhere from three to four times per year. We actually never let a client leave without scheduling the next meeting. So it's a constant revolving door of communication. Uh, each of those wealth management teams are actually six in the firm, are supported by uh, experts in the field of investments, uh, financial planning, client service and ops. So it's very much a team approach, very hands-on. Every client that comes in, we have an agenda prepared well in advance. The client assists and gets involved with preparing that customized agenda. Um, it, it's it's a very comprehensive approach. And we, you know, one of the things I, I, I want to highlight that because you know there are a lot of there are a lot of places that talk about having a team approach, but you you really operate as an ensemble model. I mean, you you've centralized financial planning and you've centralized investment management, and so you know the the it, I, I I believe I believe is it it sounds like you've you've uh, no matter who people are working, no matter who clients are working with, they really get a consistent experience and and the same the advice is coming from the same place. Is, is that true? Yes. We want a consistent deliverable across the board. Uh, we've taken great efforts to ensure that there's continuity and consistency across the way we communicate investment performance, uh, the level and detail of the comprehensive financial planning work that we do, uh, the quality of introductions to other outside professional advisors in the field of estate planning, tax planning, philanthropy, um, and income tax planning, et cetera. So each client that comes in has a very consistent and unique uh, service model that uh, regardless which of the six different wealth management teams are faced with, uh, they're being delivered the same high-level quality advice. Okay. I'm interested to ask for, for advisors who are listening to this, who are just growing the business, who ha- are lower in terms of assets, but but aspire to have the kind of model that you have. Was there a certain critical mass at which point this structure, this team approach became possible? Or did you really build it from the start with that in mind? So great question, Julie. Probably about 10 years ago, I recognized that uh, I wasn't an expert in every field and facet of wealth management. My strengths were geared around relationships and building long-term clients you know, with the firm and networking with COIs, centers of influence. Uh, I was also you know, doing all the financial planning work and engaged in investment management selection and comp- you know, the composition of portfolios. And I've, I eventually got to a crossroads where I recognized there are people who are more focused, educated, and smarter than I am in certain facets of the business. So the first area that um, where I was able to delegate some responsibilities was investment management. We hired a gentleman by the name of Bob Weiss. He's now our chief investment officer. He has a four-person team that heads up the investment committee. They're minding the till. They're overseeing the portfolios. They're doing the, all the rebalancing that's necessary, year-end tax loss selling, deploying new capital as it comes in, freeing up monies for distributions for those uh, who are retired. And so the investment team has really donned the responsibility of maintaining the integrity of our portfolios. We then later on added a financial planning group, 
Uh, Ed Jastrom is my current director of financial planning. He's a first four-person team, and they get very uh, intricately involved with all advanced facets of tax planning, estate planning, financial planning, et cetera. So we will call in these experts from these different teams to help and assist the client-facing wealth managers, wealth advisors with getting the job done. And these clients recognize that, wow, I have this, as you mentioned, ensemble practice with all the different varied areas of discipline that I can call on and, and, and assist in getting getting the work done. You know, we also have a client service and ops team as well that handles opening up all the accounts, transferring assets, change of beneficiary, fund of trust, bill payment services. So each client gets to know probably five people pretty intimately within the firm that are working on their behalf. Yeah, it's interesting. Does that change, having that model and that depth of expertise behind the team, does that change um, the qualities that you look for in a wealth manager or advisor because they they can draw on that expertise? They don't need to do it all? We do. We actually look for wealth managers that have very strong relationship building skills, strong networking skills, very confident individuals that can help develop new business uh, because they don't need to be experts in the field of investment or asset management. And although they need a core baseline and foundational level of education on the financial planning side, we do require everybody have a certified financial planner's designation or a charter financial consultant's designation, but they're able to call on these other experts to come in when the bar is raised and more sophistication, more meat in the bone is required. And and would, Chuck, would you say that there's a philosophy that Heritage has as it, at the way it approaches clients or the way, the way it uh, executes on financial planning? Yes, you know, our, our philosophy is very much geared around that team approach that I just described and a, a very high commitment to client service. Uh, we, we try to provide white glove, um, red carpet, you know, treatment to each and every client. Um, we're, we have very lengthy internal checklists for uh, each and every client and all different facets of their financial livelihood. We're engaged uh, very closely with all the other trusted advisors outside of the firm that they may choose to work with in the field of accounting or uh, estate planning, insurance, et cetera. So um, very much team-oriented, very much client service-oriented. Uh, we act as a true fiduciary. Uh, the client's interests always come first. Um, as, as an RIA, we, we aspire to the highest levels of standards of fiduciary care for our clients. So all that wraps into our philosophy. Can you, uh, the, the white glove service and the checklist, I'd love it if you could give us some specific insight into what that looks like. Is this, you know, we use terms which are very high level, but what does, what does that look like in action? So our financial planning team actually modeled an internal checklist that's built within our CRM. We use Tamarack as our client relationship manager. And we have a whole section within the CRM, Julie, that uh, details out probably a 100-point checklist broken down by main categories of income tax planning, estate planning, philanthropy, uh, debt service, retirement, et cetera. And uh, for instance, under the income tax section, we want to make sure that we're capturing our clients' tax returns each and every year. We're looking through the schedules. We're looking at Schedule A, the itemized deductions. We're looking at Schedule B, the interest and dividends, uh, the Schedule D, Schedule E for those that have you know, passive uh, real estate investment, Schedule C for those, you know, that have consulting practices. And what can we do to add value to mitigate or reduce the tax liability in this instance? Um, are there opportunities to set up an individual 401k with the income that's being generated? Are there low income years? They just retired and before they 
turn age 70 and a half and hit mandatory required distributions? Are there gap years as far as income where income tax rates you know, drop off and we can convert IRA to Roth IRA during those years? Uh, are there opportunities to become more tax efficient with the portfolio based on their present blended income tax rate and projected going forward? And on and on. Are there carry forward losses on the tax return that can be used to incur gains and rebalance without worrying about additional tax liability? So all of this information under each of those main categories is captured in our CRM. And we can run reports off of that. All right, who's missing their 2017 tax returns? And the financial planning team can reach out to the wealth managers and wealth advisors and make sure that they you know, proactively you know, gather that information. Uh, we review estate planning documents. How, when was the last time they were updated? Has is, is it not been reviewed in 10 years? And since then, estate tax laws have changed or the client's uh, you know, family dynamics have changed or the people who they want serving as fiduciaries and they're no longer here are too old or disabled or unable. So we're dotting I's, we're crossing T's, we're looking through their documents, we're ensuring that um, you know, we're, we're doing everything a sound professional financial advisory firm should be doing for them. And and I, I want to build on that a little bit because you know it, it's there are a lot of firms that say good service, but I'm really intrigued by how you interpret that. And so it sounds like you know um, you've really you know you've taken the comprehensive aspect of it and systematized it with checklists and um, and and processes and and those kinds of things. And also you've coupled that with um, sort of a a diligence about how frequently you'll see clients. So the, you put the two of those together and it, it sounds like that's how you're defining service. And that's kind of what, what you see as separate as sets you apart. Is that, is that a fair summary of that? hundred uh, percent. Most clients are enamored and wowed with the early process of coming on board with us. And, and if I could just take a moment to describe what that looks like. So uh, we're, we're referral based hundred percent of the business that comes to this firm is through an introduction. Uh, we do do small marketing events for existing clients. They may be a friend, but the majority of the clients uh, are referred by an existing client who's extremely satisfied or uh, one of the many uh, centers of influence relationships that we have. So early on, someone would call the wealth manager who they got referred to, and there'll be a triage call. That triage call may last 30 minutes. We're trying to ascertain what are their goals, objectives, why are they reaching out to us, what do they want to accomplish? Um, and then we dig into their family dynamics a little bit, their professional careers, uh, what levels of income they're generating, what type of assets or resources they've been able to save away, and uh, what are the pain points? What are the challenges? What, once again, why are they thinking about making a switch or hiring our firm? So we walk away from that call and truly understanding if they're a qualified candidate uh, to, to potentially work with us. And if so, we move on to what we call our three-meeting uh, onboarding or new client process. Uh, we send out a new client kit there's a data gathering form, an investment questionnaire, and a checklist of items. We want them to complete all that and bring them with, bring that with, with them on their person to that first meeting. That first meeting is called a discovery meeting. It's a 90-minute meeting. We want the tax returns, the investment statements, the retirement account statements, and the bank account statements, in addition to the completed data gathering form and investment questionnaire. That's just getting the ball rolling. That's enough information for us to put some chips on the table and have some talking points to determine what their financial livelihood looks like, uh, what are the challenges, what are the goals, what are the objectives with the wealth that they've created. So that first meeting is a discovery meeting. Once again, it lasts about 90 minutes, and they're only meeting with two members of our team, the wealth manager, the wealth advisor, the client-facing folks. 
between meeting one and meeting two, we'll provide them with some more homework. And we talk about that in the first meeting. We ask for estate planning documents, insurance policies, uh, a listing of the executive benefits they may have if they're working, a listing of whatever benefits they may have through their employer, um, and a host of other things, uh, typically a budget worksheets. We understand what their spending plan looks like. We want all that prior to the second meeting, which is another 90-minute meeting, typically uh, a week to two weeks out. And we want them to send that to us in advance so our planning team can wrap their arms around it and start to put together some preliminary planning documents. And those planning documents are as follows. We put together a net worth statement or you know, personal listing of all their financial assets and liabilities broken down by ownership, title, category. We put a lot of details in there. We put the beneficiaries, the secondary beneficiaries and the retirement accounts. The accounts are owned by trusts. We list the name of the trustees and the, the uh, successor uh, uh, fiduciaries. Uh, it's a very uh, comprehensive working document. We also put together an initial draft of a financial plan. We happen to use e-money, and the financial plan projects out their future, all the income and cash flow and expenditures and resources. We have some idea, look out there on the horizon and get some semblance of what the future looks like. And the last thing we do for that second meeting, and this is all called the State of the Union meeting, by the way, is um, an executive summary from our investment team with regards to how their present portfolio is positioned, uh, the, how it's asset allocated, the fees that they're paying, uh, the level of risk that they're tolerating, uh, historical performance. Uh, so we have some talking points around investments. That's the second meeting. So, so yeah. So before we go to the third meeting, Chuck, I, I want to ask you something about that. Sure. So you said that people bring a certain amount of stuff to the discovery meeting, and then they have some homework to send you to send you stuff between the first and second meeting. Yes. And that you first you collect a lot of information, it sounds like, between the first and second meeting that your planning team has to go through. But you also said that it happens, the second, that the State of the Union meeting happens like a week after the discovery meeting. That's not a lot of time. So you know, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. There's, one, there's something I want to ask you about it, but go ahead and, and talk about that. It typically happens anywhere from a week on the early side to upwards of three weeks later after that first meeting. Some people are very well organized and very diligent with regards to their financial records and can get it back to us in no time. We really work at the client's pace on this one in determining when the next meeting is structured. But we do need all that information, you know, at least four business days prior to that next meeting so that my planning team can wrap their arms around uh, all the data and get the work done. Right. And we, we, we are very efficient. We are very productive in our firm. We have wonderful resources. Other firms may not have those resources. So the team effort gets the job done. Well, but, and one of the other things I wanted to ask you about um, is that I, I, I speak with a lot of advisory firms that, that they really struggle with um, with compliance, that they, they can't get the clients to send them information. But one thing I, th I can see that's a difference between you and other firms is that you know, you said they never leave until they've got something scheduled again. So they know when the next meeting is going to be and they know they have to have the stuff into you. But do you, how else do you address that that issue of people's reluctance to, to, to do the work digging through their files to get all the stuff that you need? You know, we, we clearly have the most uh, the highest success rate for those that are truly engaged and respectful of our time and are following up in a timely manner with our requests. Not everybody in the world is like that. Um, I would say that 90% of our pr prospective clients to get through this process to the third and final meeting become clients. But there are some that drop off along the way because they're not serious, they're not focused, they're not engaged. They may not be willing to divulge all that information. So 
I'd say close to 60% of those that start the first meeting get to the third and final meeting. And once again, 90% of those end up becoming clients. Okay. So, so yeah. So, um, um, what was I going to say about that? Uh, or I was going to ask you about, um, and the third meeting. Uh, yeah. And then the third meeting, but just, just get it, getting the, the, the people on board with that, to, to getting them engaged with it. Um, so you, so you said six, as much as, as, 40% of those people don't get all the way to the end if they go after the discovery meeting. Is that right? Yeah. If I, if I had to guess, you know, close to a third of clients or prospective clients don't get through that full process. Okay. Um, but, you know, once again, we're looking for a certain breed of clientele that is engaged, that is involved, that is very respectful of professional guidance and advice that's going to, you know, provide us the information that we need to get the job done. Sure. And, uh, and, and comes and follows through with their review meetings. And we don't want people who are canceling or bowing out or, you know, uh, you know, wasting time, so to speak. Yeah, that that's really interesting. And then when, when somebody on your team is following up on that, you know, to, to try to, you know, sort of give them that little, that little nudge to get the stuff in or, or, you know, to call it quits. What does a conversation like that sound like between the, between somebody at Heritage and the client? If, if you're, if you're following up to say, Hey, we need that stuff from you. So we have power planners that support those client-facing advisors, once again, the wealth manager and wealth advisor. So the power planner is engaged in that early onboarding process, and they're communicating uh, directly with the potential client. So they're reminding them by emails that we're still missing this information, or could you please kindly send a statement or direct us in the right area to, to capture it ourselves, whether it's reaching out to their CPA to get tax returns or the insurance advisor to get, you know, current summary statements. So it, it's very much a, a back and forth. And there's a lot of communication early on with the prospective client to get all the chips on the table and complete the puzzle. So, um, you know, fortunately, we've got the staff to engage with our clients and remind them in a friendly manner. Do meetings get pushed off and rescheduled because they don't have it all? Sure, of course, that happens all the time. But um, I, I think our process works. And once clients are walking down that path and are are on the track to uh, become a potential client of the firm. They're enamored with all the information we're looking at and analyzing, and and they say to themselves, aha, I've never had a firm uh, interested in turning over all these stones and dotting all these eyes, and this is refreshing. This is new. And as a, okay. and also, we're not charging for this uh, early phase of Oh, okay. That would be another question. Sure. So the, there's yeah. no obligation or fee for the first few meetings, but we're doing a lot of work. We're, we're uh, engaging a lot of our staff and our, our expertise and time to get to a level where we can both mutually make a decision to work together or not. Well, so let, let's get to that in just in a minute, because that's another really in, interesting thing to explore. But so let's get to the third. So then you have the third meeting and tell us what the third meeting is about. So the first meeting is the discovery meeting. The second is a state of the union, really sharing with the client where they stand today financially without any recommendations. But we do start to pinpoint areas that can be improved upon and share our observations. Uh, third meeting is all about wealth management recommendations. That's where we bring a member of our investment management team in to talk about our investment philosophy, our approach to asset management. We have a full-blown proposal comparing their current portfolio to what we're recommending. And this all delves very well with the uh, financial planning work that we've already done to date. Keep in mind, we now have a financial plan completed. We have a personal financial statement. We know what the client's goals and objectives are. We know what they want to accomplish. So we're now capable of, of being able to provide 
them with a prudent list of recommendations as to how their money should be managed. So that third meeting is about investment management. It's, it, we also itemize and prioritize all the financial planning projects that we can assist them with. And that's prioritized in conjunction with the client. Maybe their state plan's out of date. Maybe they're underinsured. Uh, maybe they're, they want to help their grandson or granddaughter go to college and they're funding a 529 plan. One of a million different things. But we put that list of uh, financial planning topics together and we then discuss the next steps of potentially moving forward if they'd like to engage our services. If so, we schedule yet a fourth meeting, sign paperwork, and then start to tackle the financial planning list. So, I mean, there's so much activity that goes on. It's quite, quite amazing. I, I, I'm interested. I know that client feedback is a, is a part of your business and that you've got an, an advisory board in place. I mean, are these, do you test and assess client uh uh, feedback on the kind of information that they receive, how they want to receive it and whatnot? We do, Julie. In fact, our client advisory board has been a wonderful forum to solicit direct feedback from some of our you know, top ideal clients in the firm. Uh, we meet twice a year. There's 12 hand-picked ideal clients that rotate every three years on and off that board. And we've solicited just some tremendous uh, guidance and advice from these folks. They're really our, our client board of directors. And uh, for example, some of the things that have come out of that is um, uh, how often we should be meeting with our clients. So we, we, once they become on board through that early phase, uh, then we get into a regular rotation of review meetings that, that most clients are coming in every three to four months for a 90-minute review. And a lot of my peers and competitors will say, whoa, that's way too much. You just need to do an annual review. It is truly what differentiates us, Heritage Financial Services, and sets us apart. And when clients come in for those reviews, there's always topics to cover. There's new tax laws that affect them. There's some family dynamics that change. The estate plan needs to be updated. Uh, there's something going on in the markets or the economy that they want to discuss. There's rebalancing to do. There's expenses to be paid. There's trips to go on. You, you name it. So each review meeting is 90 minutes going forward, and our advisory board says, please don't stop that. We value that time with you immensely. Uh, we had actually threatened to pull back and maybe do twice a year, or, or you know, those are seeing four times a year, three times a year, and they're, you know, saying time out. No, please don't don't do that. We 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 tr you know we truly value the frequency and how often we meet with you. How are, have there been any other big ahas you've gotten from your board? I know that we've covered a lot in it, but are, are there any things that stand out that that really Said, caused you, you to follow an initiative or change something besides the, the frequency of meeting? I think that's a significant aha. Any other big ahas that, can, that you can remember getting? Yeah, Steve, the board has been tremendous. We, we've received a, a ton of great feedback. I'll, I'll share a few things off the top of my mind. One is um, our client portal. Um, so we have a client portal that was designed specifically to the requests and needs and demands of our advisory board with regards to what type of charts and performance reports and mountain charts and asset allocation pie charts that they want to see when they log on and look at their accounts. So we showed samples of those reports and what can be changed, what can't be changed, how that should be displayed on their dashboard when they log on. So they were very instrumental in helping us design the client portal. And um, beyond that, we recently learned when we're putting on client prospecting uh, events where we bring, I'm sorry, we bring existing clients to a wine and dinner pairing. We ask them to bring a friend. Uh, what type of venue should that be? Should, should there be education involved? Should it be just pleasure? And they said the biggest bang 
for our buck would be to pair the two together, you know, have uh, a speaker on a specific educational topic and have it at a venue that they're excited to attend, maybe a museum or or something of the such, and include food and, and drink. They said, you know, free food and drink. We'll, we'll bring you know some of the folks out. So um, sure, that doesn't change with money, does no, it? We no, all no. like <laughs> some, some things are tried and true. Um, also, uh, concierge services. Some of the things we've been asking our advisory board are: what other ancillary services should we embark on, or, or, or what should we consider to enhance the service offerings that we're we're presently affording our clients and. Some concierge services came out of this. They said, what if you could, you know, help us out ensuring that um, when we want to travel, when we retire, are there certain travel agencies you did highly recommend that specialize in, you know, trips to Europe or educational trips or safaris or what have you? So now we have relationships with a handful of uh, travel agencies in and around the greater Boston area that um, will work directly with our clients, put an itinerary together and and see them through. We've um, We've also... Uh, engage with certain banking relationships where folks need home equity lines of credit or mortgages or, or uh, you know, banking services above and beyond what they're able to get with their local banker. So we have uh, that listed amongst our concierge services. Uh, we have a relationship with an auto dealership that owns 30 different uh, dealerships of all makes and models of automobiles. And there's a white glove uh, service department there that takes care of our clients, charges a fair profit margin without any haggling or negotiating over the vehicle. So th- things like that. So we, we were offering more concierge services as a result. Also, you know, when we transition a client from one advisory team to another, as, as advisory teams get to full capacity but want to continue to move upstream to work with larger clients, they need to transition some of the smaller clients to another team. And they helped us uh, design a plan of attack to how to effectively do that without disheartening the client relationship. And, and many, many others, you know, a lot of our website, our collateral, our unique value proposition, uh, uh, all that has been uh, designed and developed with the assistance of our advisory board. So, um, you know, the, the, the show is, is about referrals. And so one of the things I want, we wanted to get around to after talking with you about the service and the feedback is, um, you know, what, what do you, what, what do your clients say about heritage? And, and you've, you've said that you've grown heritage entirely organically. What, what do you think are some of the things that have contributed to your ability to attract referrals? I think some of the things that you know, immediately come to mind when, when, um, someone's asked of, of uh, what they think of heritage is they take care of everything, at least on the financial side, every detail matters. They have exceptional professional expertise with a vast team of individuals that are caring for us. Um, it's personalized. It's, it's, it's customized. It's, uh, they're very friendly. They're very warm. They're honest. They have a lot of integrity. Uh, we trust them immensely. Uh, the breadth of service, the level of comprehensive detail they go through, they, they go above and beyond. So I, I think those are some of the things that might come to mind when uh, when asked of our clients. And those are the things our advisory board tells us when we ask them as well. Hmm. Now, you had said before um, that you'd made a big point about offering a, a you know the fiduciary service and, and, and being free of... Um, conflicts of interest. Um, Heritage before had been a hybrid firm. And, and I'm, I've, I think for a lot of the listeners who are, uh, you know, a different structure, you know, either a hybrid or something like that, we, we'd be interested in hearing a little bit about how did you gradually come to the, to the conclusion that you needed to switch from being a hybrid firm 
over to being an RIA only? Sure. So I'm in my 28th year of being in the industry. I graduated from Boston College with a finance degree back in 1990. I immediately took a job with John Hancock Financial Services on the uh, managerial side of, of the, uh, the house. I was a full-time captive agent of, of John Hancock offering their proprietary insurance, uh, tax-deferred investments, and mutual funds to clients that I was literally cold calling back in those days. So um, after five years of building a, an initial clientele with John Hancock, probably a couple hundred clients back in those days, I recognized that John Hancock was very good in certain areas, but they weren't excellent in all areas. And I wanted to be able to offer more freedom of choice, uh, less proprietary investments, more offerings you know, across the universe of potential uh, financial instruments are available. So I branched away and went with an independent broker-dealer, Commonwealth Financial Network. Uh, I have very dear friends uh, that I maintain very strong relations with to this date. I became one of their top advisors over the 14 years that I was working with Commonwealth. And um, Commonwealth helped me leverage and build a business. Uh, I was able to act more as a fiduciary and provide unbiased, independent, objective advice. Uh, there were no proprietary investments. Uh, I had all kinds of different folks at Commonwealth that I could leverage in the field of financial planning and asset management and wealth management, estate planning, that experts in insurance and tax and wonderful, uh, excellent firm that I was very proud to be a member of for all those years. And we actually set up the registered investment advisor practice in parallel with Commonwealth. So back in 1999, after being with Commonwealth for uh, about five years or so, uh, I was allowed to create this Heritage Financial Services RIA in parallel working with Commonwealth. It was really a one of the first steps into becoming purely independent. So eventually in 2008, we decided to branch off of Commonwealth. Uh, I think we had got to a level where we were outgrowing some of the um, uh, some of what the broker deal was able to afford us. You folks there? Yeah, we're here. Yep. Oh, sorry. And um, so fully became independent on the RIA side uh, back in 2000, early 2009. So and we haven't looked back. We've we've tripled in size since then. We've grown from 500 million under management to now just shy of 1.5 billion. And um, a lot of the departments and and services and back office folks that were doing that work for us at Commonwealth, we now have in house uh, here at the firm. So looking forward, is it is it uh, more of the same in order to grow, or what do, what does the future look like for you? So, Julie, we actually had an offsite partners retreat with uh, my, our five-person executive management team uh, a few months ago to sketch out the future of the firm. And we're looking out literally five years and mm -hmm. building the template, the blueprint for the future. And uh, we're a 30-person firm now, we, and we're one, just under $1.5 We expect to be close to $3 billion five years out. If we continue on the same trajectory of our growth rate, uh, we would have 55-plus employees at that time. Uh, we have presently nine equity owners in the firm. I would suspect that to hopefully double at least over the course of the next five years. Um, we're offering more concierge services. We're enhancing our service offerings. We're taking more advantage of financial technology so that we can communicate in a more dynamic uh, virtual world with especially some of the younger clients who are Gen Xers and millennials. So um, you know things are evolving. They're changing. They keep continue to develop. Now, <clears throat> We're, we're almost up on time, Chuck, but I cannot let you go 
without getting a story from you. <laughs> um, so, some, a lot of advisors really believe that they're service oriented, but, but, but there's a story from your past that, that takes that to a whole new level. And it involves, I believe, pruning a tree for a client. <laughs> well, it actually, can you tell us that story? It, it's a great story, but um, <laughs> I'll take it one step behind that. I grew up in a small vegetable farm in Westwood, Massachusetts. We had about 20 acres. I was the oldest of four boys. My mom and dad uh, just had a tremendous set of values and principles and ethics that they bestowed upon each of us. Um, Dad would have us up at five in the morning at sunrise every day, working in the fields uh, in the summertime. It was literally sun up to sundown and just a tremendous work ethic. And mom would ring the bell when the sun was setting and dinner was set on the table. And, and uh, you know, the, the family unit was very tight. Uh, to this day, my brothers are some of my best friends and my mom lives across the street from me. Uh, I lost my dad several years ago, but but uh, I carry him with me every day. And uh, when I first started in the financial services industry with John Hancock, my literally very first client uh, was in Framingham. Uh, her name is Rita, I won't share her last name, but um, she allowed me to come over and talk about uh, the, the financial uh, solutions and expertise that I had. And she was complaining at the time that she had this cherry tree with the branches that were uh, leaning on the, the telephone wires and she couldn't get any subcontractor to come over and cut the limb down. Now, you know, growing up on the farm and having used uh, some skill with a chainsaw and many other pieces of equipment, <laughs> in my three, I literally had a three-piece suit of the tie on and it was a hot summer day in August, probably 85 degrees. I asked Rita, do you have a chainsaw in the garage? I'll be happy to take care of it. She's like, oh, no, 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 I didn't expect you to do that. I'm like, no, 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 let me, I'm happy to help you. So off I went, I took my sport coat off, went into the garage, fired up the chainsaw, climbed up the cherry tree, sawing the branch off, sawdust all over me. I'm sweating my butt off and uh, <laughs> down the limb came, cut it up, put it aside. And she was just uh, enamored with the fact that um, I would go to those lengths to help her. <laughs> and I walked, you know, in my briefcase, I had a $10,000 check for an investment where I made $300 and I thought I hit the lottery. <laughs> so there it is. So that, that, that throws down the gauntlet. I, I defy any advisor to tell me a, a service story that beats that one. That's white glove. That is. That's, yeah. That's actually, it's a leather glove. Leather glove. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a whole, whole different thing. <laughs> well, I... I, I think I, I, I love I love hearing about heritage and 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 all the stuff that you do. I, we do have to wrap it up, but um, but Chuck, thanks very much for for joining us today. You know the um, like I said before, your heritage has been recognized rightly for all the great services you provide, and and a lot of uh, advisors could learn a lot from all the stuff you've put together. And I appreciate your willingness to share some of that expertise on the show today. Well, it's my true pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Take care. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Steve. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.